not used to doing it. It's not a part of your life. It's not something that you're accustomed to pushing yourself. There's been many, 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 many days where I didn't want to work out. I just didn't feel like I had the energy and I just forced myself. And I think there's very few people out there that know how to force themselves. Hello humans. Welcome to the M Word, the Manx Sports Podcast, brought to you by Martin. That is me. I'm Matt. That is him. How are you today, Matthew? Pretty tired, to be honest. Just come no. off a decent swift sesh, so... No. Virtual world that you live in. Hey. Keeps me maybe, going over the winter. train less. Train a bit less. We'll see when we hit the roads in the season. Mm, maybe. <laughs> uh, so welcome back, everyone. I hope you uh, enjoy our first episode. We've got some great feedback, so thank you for that. Mm. Uh, first of all, we just want to uh, say... Uh, or a shout out to our sponsor, billboards.im. Uh, they do exactly what it says on the tin, which is digital advertising. None of this plain, boring, fixed advertising that's digital. You'll see them in town on the side of the sea terminal. Uh, so if you want to get your brand out there and make people aware of what you're doing, much like we are, they're the guys to go and see. So go visit billboards.im, the future of advertising on the Isle of Man. Thank you to them. Uh, we're joined today by uh, our guest, uh, who we'll come on to in a second, actually. Just to go back to the uh, last bit of audio introduction there uh, and the voice, and normally Matthew doesn't know who these are, so don't know if you recognise that voice that was in at the end of the uh, intro there. Yeah, I'm not doing good. No, I know. No. <laughs> two, two for two. So that was uh, Joe Rogan. For those that don't know Joe, he's got a podcast in the US. Uh, Matt, Matt, you know, go and look it up. It's got a massive audience. He interviews many different people and from all different sectors of, the, of everything, basically. But uh, he's very much about self-development, self-improvement, uh, uh, good habits, etc. And uh, it's really quite quite relevant to our guest today, who's joined us for a chat, which is George Blackwell. Welcome, George. Hello. How are we going? Good. Good. Yeah, good. So to peel back the very small curtain that is, in fact, our studio, uh, we, record, <laughs> we recorded this episode with George a couple of weeks ago, and the audio wasn't the greatest. Uh, so George has kindly, because he's such a gentleman, come in again to chat to us. So again, I suppose a double thank you for spending yeah, a bit more time chatting to us. No problem. It's nice to have a bit of a trial run. To be <laughs> <fair>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, rather than giving a summary, George, it's probably easier just to talk to, talk through it. George, twenty two now. Uh, when you listen to him, you might be shocked to hear that uh, just from the way he talks and it and it's just general view on life, uh, which is really why we ultimately want to get him in to have a chat with him. So we're going to start right at the beginning. And we're going to go, uh, are you a come over? Are you Manx? Manx, Manx, or Manx is the hills? Just Manx. Just Manx. Yeah, just Manx. Parents aren't, aren't from the island. They moved over probably 25, 24, 25 years ago. And yeah, they obviously had me when they were over here. So yeah, right. just Manx, we'll say. Yeah, so that, for those non-Manxies listening, that's always a reference of you. Come over, come to the Isle of Man. Obviously Manx, you, I think your parents are born here. Manx, Manx is your grandparents. And if you're Manx is the hills, your whole family was yeah. completely Manx. Yeah. So, so early days, early life. Where were you brought up on the island? So brought up Port Erin. Still, still live there. Back, um, back in the family home. Grew up uh, very much out and about down south, as I say. Yeah. Um, Russian primary school from sort of an early, well, from when you start school. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reception, four or five years old, and then basically went through there until I was about ten, eleven years old, and then. Um, actually went to the booking school for a little while. Okay. And how how did you get into the world of sport? Through that move to the booking Booker. school, essentially. Um, yeah, starting playing rugby, football. I'd always been introduced to football, but never really cared too much about that. Too playing some other, yeah, pretty much. Um, start playing cricket at the booking. Love that as well. Get into all sorts, swimming, cross country, the lot. 
Um, is that yeah. one of the bigger sports at the Buckingham then will be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. Um, you didn't have a choice when it was Neil McGregor. Yes, McGregor yeah. Um, yeah, Neil McGregor was head of PE, so it was sort of love it or hate PE, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> I chose that chose love it. <laughs> and uh, those early days of was that uh, of that sport that was just f- doing it for fun. Yeah, no entirely no for fun. Desire of doing much, you know, just just like most people at school, it's just part of the curriculum and you're cracking on with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm always I've always been sort of overly enthusiastic, to be yeah. honest, about most things. Um, so that was as soon as I was able to apply to m- myself to something like that it was sort of took over took over my life a bit but that was sort of the case with anything that happened um, if you told me to do something else I probably would have applied myself oh, in that same way which is quite interesting but yeah that was what sort of took over from then on from maybe like yeah 9-10 years old through to well not that long ago really yeah right and is that that 9-10 is that touch rugby or is it contact contact, contact oh, yeah okay. so it was straight in and that's still we do that now do we just yeah. thinking about yeah yeah, it might seem a bit bonkers. Putting everyone in bubble wrap nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it does seem bonkers, but yeah, still, I'm pretty sure it is anyway. At least 10, 11 years. Yeah, I think about 10, 11 years old, still contact. And do you think uh, as you start playing, I suppose it's, it's not that long ago back for you, but do you remember it being good at your school at that level of rugby? Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, Were you good? I was, I mean, first session, no. <laughs> I remember um, rocking up. So I'd, I'd just joined the school so obviously everything's a bit new anyway um, and going to the first rugby session I think it was pretty much the first day and the first after school was the rugby club so I went down obviously had a good well not so good session because obviously it's new it's mm. part of the learning process but ended up going home crying to mum at the age of 10 saying oh no it was rubbish I was crap like all the rest of it mm. and then uh, coming in and chatting the next day with Neil McGregor and he goes you know what's he on about he was great Right. what's he so upset about and I just had no obviously no perspective on it and yeah from then on sort of loved it and stuck at it and, and then through your teens playing it more and more at school yeah were you playing then starting to play for the Ireland at, at any stage or a club or was it just all school focused pretty much all school focused um, club wise there is a, a bit of club rugby but on the island it's easier to get stuck into the school stuff because it's just it's that environment you're around everyone so much often so much more contact time with coaches and so much more opportunity to train and do stuff so from sort of early high school so most of my rugby's always been through school um, but obviously had a good stint with Douglas Rugby Club and with Nomads earlier on um, when I was sort of like 12, 13 but yeah shifted between a few clubs just wherever would give me the most games sort of vibe do have to ask though did, was that from Bucking to King Bills? That was what happened. So bit of rivalry of uh, yeah. It, it's yeah. Boys. I'm yeah. I'm a bit of a, a bit of a school slut really. I've been um, <laughs> literally gone so Russian primary school to the Buchan, the Buchan to King Williams College, King Williams College to Castle Russian. Uh, made up for it then. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then Castle Russian across to right. um, Kirkham Grammar School. So yeah, I've been sort of all over the place. So then, like in most, again, I don't know the rugby scene particularly. At 13, 14, Are you playing with the age categories? Is that how it works? Yeah. So it's, you generally stick to school years right. um, at. King Williams I was when I was in year seven so lower four there I was trying to play a year up or even two years up at that stage just because physically it was it suited me better because I was right. a bit of a big lad at that point is that your choice or the uh, that was me pushing for that right, yeah. at that age um, which was good fun um, but generally you do tend to stick in your age category yeah so then at that age are you starting to bulk out and mature I guess earlier than other um, kids I was always tall. Just smashing the protein. <laughs> no, at that, at that stage, no. I was um, pretty lanky, just sort of probably had one leg longer than the other. Couldn't 
just run around in circles not not not, not largely coordinated just very enthusiastic would probably be the way of putting it oh. um yeah not particularly skillful but just loving every second which was obviously the main thing yeah okay how many times would you train a week um yeah seven oh, i don't even know not not nothing silly i'd always be focused on sport so it mean you'd be playing rugby once twice a week King, King's College are very good at getting kids active. Right. Um, so I mean, they'll do PE. They have a structured PE lesson pretty much every day. So it'd be like cross country or swimming or something else if it wasn't rugby anyway. Right. Okay. And then uh, you then start, or did opportunities then start arising that you were getting interest outside of just playing for the school? Yeah. So this was actually through Southern Nomads. So obviously massive, yeah, massively thankful for them for giving that opportunity in the first place. Went, got sent over for a West Cheshire under 13s trial, which under 13 seems sickeningly young. No, say no, my team. Yeah, um, so they sent me over for that with a couple of other young lads. Um, Travel on your own or someone go with you? I think it was one of, I think, because there was a couple of trials. I think once it was my dad that took us, and once was another parent. So it'd be like two or three young Kids. lads with one of the parents. Um, essentially, through that, got picked for West Cheshire but got identified to get pushed through onto sort of a development pathway towards Sail Sharks Academy that isn't actual the academy for sale it was more just like a pathway to kind of them to sort of get a few guys in the net that they thought they might want be interested in essentially um, what are the, what are the, what happens in those trials is it just rock up and you do matches or they do, do like proper you know equating to NFL tests of sprinting you know timing each other or like what or is it just have a bit of a it's about? in thirteens it was it they did some skill based stuff, so like looking at some one on one tackling and like some handling mm-hmm. skills and stuff like that, but a lot of it was game based. Um in terms of getting nominated, there was a lot of kids there. I was say, do you feel at that age were you just enjoying the experience of going there or did you kinda of have the actually let's let's I think um, I was enjoying the experience but I was always very keen. Yeah. Um like very keen to sort of show myself in the right light had a very good attitude um had some good habits that probably not a lot of the other kids did have right. um that probably showed me to be better than i potentially was for a right. couple of years but yeah I, where did those good habits come from good parents yeah parents were were huge um in terms of picking up sort of selfless traits really from them Hard, hard working, both very hard working people, um, but in terms of selfless traits, they're they're massive really. They play rugby, or well, I suppose more so your father. <laughs> no, no, neither of them. Dad, dad had no background. He um, he sort of grew up playing tennis and playing a bit of football, but literally no experience in the family playing rugby like in the slightest. Mm. And um, maybe those traits as well from the coach, I guess, at that age as well. Yeah, yeah. So obviously at that age, it's been twelve or thirteen years old, so. Neil McGregor had probably been, as I sort of mentioned earlier, he's probably the most influential guy. Yeah. Um, he's known by Matt as well. Mm. Here is he's, he's a bit of an icon, really, in terms of Manx sport anyway. So, yeah, in terms of finding those, more just fine-tuning. It sounds mad as like a 10, 11-year-old, but people are so influential at that age and just sort of having that drummed into you, the, you know, the core values of just like respect and discipline and the way you should speak to people and treat your teammates is just, it's huge, really. That seems to be, again, uh, obviously, my build never played rugby, but it seems such a respectful sport as well in regards to just you see how they deal with referees compared to other sports. Yeah. Uh, that seems ingrained anyway at an early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is. It's, um, it's powerful. I'm, I, I 
because I hate it at the same time because you get rugby players love to put themselves and rugby parents love putting themselves on this like moral high ground and it, it irritates me so oh, much okay. but at the same time it is it is brilliant and that's why the parents get behind the sport so mm. much because they can see these values coming through in the kids but yeah there's obviously there's flaws to it as there is any sport but yeah. generally generally speaking like it's you can't really fault it okay so you've been away you've been for a couple of trials what happens from from there do they obviously interested in your skills and yeah so bashing people around yeah so I get involved with um, this sort of it was called school of rugby at this time so it's kind of like a feeder into the academy um, where they maybe once every month sale would put on this assessment where they'd have a look at you um, assess your skills and stuff see how you're developing physically and all the rest and if they wanted to pull you into the academy they would do um, so I'd be going traveling over sort of once a month from the island and going to this session and just basically each, each time was like a trial okay. um, pretty much and were they narrowing down the numbers in theory then or no some weeks people, I, I was in a bit of a weird situation because generally it was it, you shouldn't sit in this tier you'd always be moving up or moving out um, but I was in this weird situation where they were never quite sure whether to take me or not oh, right. okay. so I kept going it was also because I was on island they wanted to they always have less contact with me so they wanted to sort of keep me at a, yeah. keep me an arm length at an arm's length but not bring me in too close at the same time. <laughs> who was who was funding that? Schools, parents, or um, government, at, or anyone? Like at that, that point, it was just my parents. So I was pretty fortunate just for them to be able to pay yeah. for me to get across. Really, like, not many kids get the opportunity to do that. Does Ironman sport help at that level? So at the start, no. Hmm. Um, it was after sort of maybe half a year, a year up to a year of, of doing that, that they got on board. Um, at first it was just through some S&C support so giving me that sort of education in the gym and whatever else um, and then sort of following on there was actually a change in criteria I think that actually led to me being sort of eligible as a sported athlete Right. so then I think it was I think maybe just 14 or about to turn 14 was when I got onto sport aid um, and that's when things started to sort of pick up really so then I know you obviously moved away at that state where you looked to move away then. How, how, how did that come about? Is that you know, um, quite a hard choice, I guess, to make at that age? And Yeah, it was a pretty difficult choice. I mean, I had a good a good year on Ireland just trying to focus on doing everything I could to develop myself as a rugby player. And you um, doing stuff, sorry, stuff as well outside of rugby, as in gym work, things like that? Ton of, ton of gym work. Totally all, sorts of, all sorts of different conditions. I worked with a fellow called um, Trevor Christian mm-hmm. from the age of like 13, 14, who was wow. a pretty good SNC coach um, and we worked pretty hard because it was the lack of game time was quite significant but what it led me to do was really focus on the other stuff that would mm. push me forward so being as fit as I could be getting ahead in terms of the gym and other things um, even paying more attention to nutrition sports psychology like I absolutely rinsed the sport services at the age of 14 mm. like paid so paid attention to details that you would often see some like really high level athletes just not be interested in um, but it was because it was there I took full advantage um, and it put me in sort of good stead as I moved across so obviously that's fairly fairly focused at the age of 14 and 15 mm-hmm. is, is the in the back of the mind here I could use the word well let's use the word career make a career of this could this be something that was that was the goal and it's it wasn't the right goal to have but it was the goal because when you say it, it's almost the term made it like people are oh, has so and so made it like what? what is what even is a professional rugby player like do you mean uh, someone starting in the premiership week in week out do you mean someone that's got a full time contract and that's in the second team and not getting first team appearances is it someone in the championship that's playing every week is it a national one team that 
is a full-time player that's playing with the rest of amateurs like what does that even mean but at, at that age you just no, no understanding of it it's just oh i want to be a pro rugby player and that's yeah. it like what did that i was gonna say all those options there for what what were you aiming for just the top just like having that dream of you know playing international men's rugby and even like british Irish lines that kind of you know the sky's the limit is just was my mentality like 14 15 why do you think you mentioned at the start that you thought it was wrong why do you think it's wrong um because there's no understanding and like it's so people always try to tell you at a young age you know professional sport it's cutthroat environment etc etc et and you go straight over your head doesn't it like you never you can't expect <laughs> yeah, to yeah, but you, you, can, you can never um it's one of them that you can listen but you never really know until you get put in that mm. that kind of environment what it's actually like um so yeah not really sure how to expand on that anymore yeah, to yeah, be fair. Okay. So then you move away, you look to move away, talk to your family, I assume, about moving away. Yeah, so we kind of got to this point where I've started my GCSEs, uh, just started my GCSEs at Castle Russian High School, and a fellow called Phil Kringle, brilliant rugby player, he's playing full-time for London Scottish, he's probably in his fifth, maybe fifth season of the championship now with them. He just was just about to finish at school at Kirkham, um, having played for Scotland 18s and had just been given a contract with Edinburgh. Um, obviously, he was a cast Russian lad as well, so we had that sort of tie. And he, I think he pretty much chucked my name out there as someone that was interested to go. And I think I had a couple of chats with him, just from him being around on the island and being in the gym um, in that same kind of environment. Really, really nice guy. And he basically put my name forward. Um, at that point, it was coming up to Christmas, so it was like I had a commit and move now and catch up GCSE work and stick it out or I wait until A-levels so it was this kind of like make a decision now and go or wait and we just went well the right sort of things fell into place and I was able to go in the end which was pretty cool and sorry and why why Kirkham um, is that one of the kind of feeder ones for the island or is it the kind of prestigious one that so go to? there's a couple it, at that stage it wasn't the feeder one and sort of from me going and a couple of other guys going from the island it's kind of become the feeder uh, okay. um, at that point Phil was pretty much the only person that had travelled to go to a different school that wasn't Sedba you might have heard of Sedba school it's quite a big uh, big posh rugby school up north it's one of them you think you think you're in your own little bubble you think everyone would know but they obviously yeah. wouldn't um, so yeah uh, it was it was kind of just it just seemed the best fit it's quite a small mm. school um, so if I'd been gone to a bigger school I probably would have just got lost in just the mass of just People have been similar, but I got looked after looked after really well because it was quite a small school, small boarding house, and all the rest of it, and sort of build those sort of trust and relationships. And that I think that was what my parents thought is that because it was quite small, quite personable, I'd get that extra sort of attention that I probably needed at that stage. Where's uh, Where's Kirkham having failed geography at school? <laughs> um, not far from Preston. It's kind of right. in between the lovely Blackpool and Preston. So, yeah. Isn't there sarcasm there? Yeah, no. no, I mean I, I lived there for five years. I'm not. <laughs> no, <allowed. right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then, uh, so you move across full time. I presume it's study rugby, study rugby, study rugby, study gym, rugby, study eat protein. That's it. Just lost protein as well. Don't forget that extra yeah. protein. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was far too intense for what um, I should have been doing, but I was enjoying myself, so just sort of cracked on. Um, and then the team you were playing in there again were you? Uh, obviously, clearly not at your depth. Were you stand out one of the better guys in your own opinion? Obviously, um, I mean. I was actually lucky to be in quite a talented age group mm-hmm. at that school. So there was lots of people who were all feeding into like county rugby. So at sort of 15, 14, 15, I was one of the better players, but I was no means like miles ahead of anyone. Um, 
arguably there was lots of other players better than me. It was just kind of everyone was kind of pushing on. However, they were all very relaxed about it and very much just seeing what came the way. But because I'd been in this position before where I'd not had the opportunities or just to get an opportunity, I had to get on a fucking plane and travel and do all the rest of it. Like, Willing to go that extra mile. Yeah, I just had this kind of different mindset to them. So you'd um, be doing strength and conditioning work while they're all chatting and... Hammering the gym, yeah, yeah. doing the extra running, doing the mobility, doing the extra skill stuff. Everyone else was pretty chill. Right. Um, and then opportunities came along to start then representing uh, England. Yeah, so when you hit the 16s, they've actually changed this now. So you now you can no longer play international 16s, which is a good decision from there on their part but how come it's just too young yeah. just too young um, inflating egos that aren't needed right. we're, back, we're back to the ego word. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on this again I'm sure anyway um, yeah so 16 is the first age group you can actually represent internationally um, so generally how that goes or how it went at that age was you play your county which for me was Lancashire you then play other counties and then feed into a north side if you play well in your county games, you get invited to a North trial, do the North trial, picked or not, and then you'd play like North, Midlands, South East, and London, London South East and South West or something along those lines. Um, I got to the North trial and didn't get picked. It was actually um, at this stage, I wasn't actually in the academy at Sale, but I was you know in sort of contest in position-wise from like the guys like Tom and Ben Curry who just been well Tom has been representing England in the World Cup and has been absolutely phenomenal um, and at that stage you're comparing yourself to guys like that and just trying to do everything you can to, to keep up with guys like that you obviously are, you know, certainly at that age a high level if ultimately you're not getting blown away by guys who are now you know at that very very top level yeah yeah I mean I just I wasn't that talented I was just really really pushing it um, a lot of other guys that were at that stage now have, I've no idea where they're up to but Tom's obviously a couple of other guys in that team um, that are at a really, really brilliant level now and really sort of have kicked on with their career, which is so good to see. So, so when you see any of those trials, are they are they regular ones? If, if you weren't picked then, is it a, okay, not picked now, I've got six months or a year to the next ones? Like, what? How, how does that work out? So at that stage with North, it was pretty cut off. It's like you've not been picked. And then it's like, from there, it's kind of almost like see you later. Um, so you can imagine they lose quite a lot of players mm. um, and it's it's difficult decision for coaches and selectors to make at six, particularly at 16 who's going to be the best in or the best at 22, 23 is, mm. is pretty is pretty difficult um, How was your mind having I suppose you might look at it as a failure it's not but that's the natural reaction I guess Yeah I mean I took it pretty hard but it was it's quite easy because I went back to school in this supportive environment where I was being facilitated to work towards the next goal so it was kind of you could just put it aside and focus on the next thing which would made it okay um, luckily for me that was getting an opportunity with regards to Scotland um, my grandparents or two of my grandparents are Scottish so both my dad's parents are Scottish which means essentially I'd qualify through something called the Scottish Exiles so guys that aren't based in Scotland but can qualify to play um, I did some sort of trials in a few different camps with them and then qualified to essentially got picked to play for Scotland um, at 16s which was pretty unexpected mm-hmm. um, sort of out of the blue like if you'd asked me to have predicted that at like 14, 15 I'd have yeah clueless <laughs> it's, it's quite embarrassing to say really I'd always been so English no. like fully 
like fully waving the flag and right. like so committed to it all about like the red rose and the rest of it and then an opportunity comes your way and yeah that's interesting on the other side then how do the fully scottish people take that for the Scot- guys Scot- who, the, yeah, scottish, 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 scottish yeah, yeah. The ones who, are, who are that see guys using this excel colored yeah is so there any was there any animosity or well, i was, was quite everyone just there to to do well and represent no, it's interesting you say that because i was quite worried at the time i was like a 16 year old being like oh, like shit like these guys like do they think i'm like a fake and, it, and it's just like the question you'd ask mm. but they don't know that so it's always just like you just got to roll with it yeah, yeah. Um, and it was actually the question I asked the um, the head coach because I got put in a I was actually made vice captain of the, the whole squad with another fellow who's proper Scottish as the hills um, <laughs> and I said to the, the head coach and I was like are you sure this is like the right thing to do because do I need to wear a kilt or something that's what I mean no but it's literally to the point where it's like I've had to learn the Scottish national anthem because I don't know it <laughs> <laughs> like 15 like 15 16 years old like who knows the scottish that anthem like could you sing it like, yeah. he was like who could like, i wasn't scottish it's at that like point the ones, to be honest yeah, yeah. That's, that's it um and he said no look you're here because you qualify and it becomes more than it sounds it sounds strange when you have like a squad that's living together and training together it actually becomes about more than the country it becomes mm-hmm. more about the group of people so it's kind of irrelevant like the same way you much like a football team or whatever it's yeah it should be it's, yeah. the world it doesn't really matter yeah it's how it should be um but yeah, I felt very sorry for him. The, the fellow that was captain unfortunately got injured, so it led to me captaining Scotland against England and then facing up yes. against Tom, who had got been picked for North right. ahead of me, um, mm-hmm. and lots of other brilliant players in that England 16s team that are doing really well so now. But How did that feel? One of those, I'm going to rock up and show why I shouldn't have been picked. Yeah, that's, it was proper one of them moments, but it's just... It just seemed like it was full circle. It was like it was just meant to happen, and in your head as a sixteen-year-old, you're like, "Wow, this is this is cool." Um, yeah, it's a brilliant memory to look back on, really. To be honest, um, yeah, I'm proud. You're captain that game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so then moving on, uh, did you play many times then for Scotland at that stage, or was it? So we played. It was a bit of a festival at that point. So you'd have all the sixteens from, or sort of all the best sixteens players from Wales, England, Scotland, and France were there as well. Mm. Uh, they all go to stay at this massive private school called Wellington College um, and everyone would be staying in the house over like a two week period and you'd play three or four games like rotating around awesome experience because obviously you're living with all the other lads that are there and all the other teams are there and everyone kind of gets to know each other a bit so yeah that was ace um, and it kind of finished up with us playing England and that was basically it from there right, right. for 16s anyway right. uh, so then you're finishing your studies at this stage as well I guess yeah so it was like coming off the back of that sort of high playing Scotland 16s and captain all the rest of it and then you're back to school and it's like right time to get ready for GCSEs <laughs> um, and it's like back to reality right. you're really back to being like a normal whatever that even means yeah and I suppose then looking at that, that age where you, you I think you mentioned earlier about, about ego is that yeah. something you were kind of were your kind of feathers fluffed up then going not who am I but you know yeah um, it's, it's, it's that idea of at that there's age, wrong with that. no, it's, yeah, no, it's not. In hindsight, like I'd have enjoyed it a bit more because I felt great about myself because I was in the position I was. I'd worked incredibly hard, put myself in this position, and got some success. But kids are—I don't even call them kids. Teenagers, are teenagers, and if I if I had a Scotland top on, going, oh, do you play for Scotland? Yeah. Just that <laughs> standard. Oh, it's just like awful chat. But you, you, 
that probably led to me not actually enjoying it as much as I should have done. Okay. Um, and instead of just like brushing it off, being like, oh, I need to like put it to bed and ignore it and all the rest. But yeah. Maybe let it influence you a little bit. Yeah. Mm. So finish GCSEs. How were they? Good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. fairly academic? Um, was brought up to think I was. Oh. I, I've always been academic, but it's, I don't know. I feel rude to say I'm not because I did well in exams, but my kind of perspective on intelligence has changed. To yeah. be honest, it's like seeing seeing guys that do brilliantly well at exams, but are the most sort of emotionally yeah, thick people. Practically or whatever, yeah. yeah. Ever. And it's just like, you, if you define yourself by that, then you're pretty shallow, yeah, realistically. Yeah. Or if you define other people by that, you're pretty shallow. So I've tried to move away from that, but I was brought up being told I was academic anyway. Right, right. <laughs> it's the way to put it. Yeah, okay. um, so then, six, you're 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Still very keen in rugby. GCSEs finished. Yeah. So started A levels. Obviously at Kirkham still. Okay. Um, so pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So still. <laughs> yeah. Still there. But it, that was sort of my first year where I had like some proper struggles. Obviously, I had that setback with North, where I'd not been picked, but it was followed up pretty quickly with the sort of high of getting involved mm. with that Scotland process and moving forward with that. So the first real setback was moving forward from that Scotland 16s experience to moving straight to 18s. So the problem was that I, my birthday is October and 16s, the age, the age range for 16s was off uh, school year. So obviously as an October birthday being September to September, I was one of the older lads. Then suddenly it went to year of birth so as I was then in with 97 birthdays, which meant, yeah, you're going for yeah. like years young. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. Um, so I was essentially with a load of lads. I'd gone from being like top of my age group to bottom and with people that were a school year or rugby season ahead of me. Yeah, okay. Um, bigger, stronger. Bigger, stronger, better. Just better. Um, and I couldn't keep up. And it was as simple as there was two Scotland 18s teams like a, a first team that were played in like the European Championship for 18s, and then a, a second team that they were just keeping tabs on for people just to whether they might want to move up or just people to keep a close eye on. And I didn't even make out of the squad. So um, did that involve a lot of travelling then? If you're based in Kirkham, you're going up in mm-hmm. going up some in Scotland to do all these trials. Still. Yeah, so I was. They kept it relatively low key, so because there was an exiles, the exiles program, they would look after me more right. so. So I, but we'd still be travelling. So I'd still be going to like Sheffield from Preston, which was like two, three hour drive or two hours on the train or so stuff like that. Um, and then a couple of camps up in Scotland where you'd be traveling up to Edinburgh to do like maybe a weekend or two, three days in a school week or something like that. So how, do you, how, do you, how did you find that doing all that, just still constantly traveling and your work and your rugby and your training and everything on top of that? You know, it's, it's, it was a, a teenager. A struggle. It's a struggle, but you, you do, you just do it. And it's only kind of, some of them in hindsight when you're like, flipping heck, how did I do that? But yeah. you just, if you don't know anything else, you just crack on. Um, it's just sort of a means to an end, mm. I guess. Um, but yeah, so obviously didn't get picked for 18s and that was sort of a massive, like a huge kick in the balls because you think, you think you're great. You've been told by people you're great. Oh, just keep going. Yeah. Um, so you've been told by people you're great and then suddenly the same people that were telling you were great are now telling you you're not great. This is a matter of like three, four months later. Mm-hmm. And that for a 16, 17 year old is pretty, it's pretty hard to take and pretty confusing. But I mean, it was a blessing really because 
it brought me back down to earth um, and I really started to it, the best thing about it was it brought me out of the age group bubble because it's so easy to get fixated on being good at your age group and then you actually start to think hang on like there's people that have played this stuff like this age grade rugby international age grade for the last 10 12 years and they've all filtered up into like the adult game and so you think flipping heck that's a lot of people plus all people that just didn't get picked that were rich into play and you realize there's all these people still playing the sport and how irrelevant those sort of international honors as great as they are and as proud as i am to have been a part of that like it's so irrelevant once you get up to the the, the sort of men's game just go back to that sorry just go back to the age thing is that mm-hmm. something that just changes because you know was there a was the just changes in rugby at the time or when you hit that age they just change the criteria it was cause well it was when England for 16s when it's England Scotland and Wales it's all the same school years right. when you go to 18s there's like full international tournaments right. so and that's when school years become less applicable because it's all on different mm. oh, I, don't, I don't really understand this yeah, okay. Because it was full, full international, they basically wanted to make it clear, and I think it was like IRB rules, international federation. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. it generally just a bit of a balls up on their part. Okay. It shouldn't it shouldn't have changed like that, but it did me probably did me a favour anyway, to yeah. be honest. So, so then, your, uh, your are you starting to fault then because you, you're struggling. You mentioned there about not getting picked. You then starting to maybe not realizing at the time, but not fall out of love, but starting to get. Um, to be honest, at this thinking. stage, I had a bit of a rough year in general. Right. That whole transition up to um, transition up to A levels, not not having that sort of international prowess that I thought I'd had before. I'd not been picked for sale again, and it, that that probably was sort of a bit of a bit of a sort of quaver where I wasn't quite sure what what to do. But the year after was probably the most I enjoyed my rugby ever because um, that was when I moved into upper six and had really sort of kept working on myself physically worked on the rest of my game to be a bit more all-rounded um, and okay. was captain of that first team so mm-hmm. and were guys around you doing you mentioned earlier about doing all the strength and conditioning everything all the work around it the guys then at that level doing that extra work as well yeah so as we got a bit older the lads sort of picked up on it a bit more which meant it wasn't just me being yeah. alone soldier just cracking on um, which was always nice um, and that's when you sort of build some really good good friendships and relationships with lads through that sort of period. Do you ever um, find it a struggle to study and play the rugby? I was alright, generally. Right. This is because I was pretty, still very, very one-track minded, so it was like, it was silly what I was doing, so I'd, I'd train, you know, I'd train before school, so get in the gym before school, breakfast, straight to lessons, maybe do a full day at school, or even like a lunchtime session as well. After school, you're training from like four to half five, you get in, eat, eat and shower and then you're doing schoolwork for the evening until like nine you might get an hour to chill out and then it's like bed repeat repeat yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that is intense at that age mm, obviously yeah. you, you're driven and got a goal it's... yeah you're, you're working towards your goal but I mean it wasn't sustainable because you're getting ill right. all the time um, you're tired you're grumpy and it's like living with a, in a house full of lads who are just going to wind each other up continually like and there's no wonder like things would boil over and people would fall out and you know all the rest of that stuff so and then you chuck in like women and the rest of it as well yeah. <laughs> just to flip in like it's just a nightmare but and you in hat boarding houses at sort of 17 18 still yeah yeah, yeah. And don't be wrong it was great fun like i loved that's they're probably the best best couple of years of my life so far just living with my best best mates and playing rugby and enjoying everything to that extent was yeah 
You still got mates. Top. I presume you still got mates from that. Yeah, um, yeah, they're sort of my, my best mates. The ones I lived with, lived with at school for those couple of years. Um, obviously, they're most of them are based across. A couple of lads from the island did go, so they're living on island at the moment. But majority of them are away, and like I'll make a big effort to get across and see them as much as I can. Really, A levels finish. Yeah, A levels finish. Another big year. Um, so obviously captained that school team and worked pretty hard to get back in the Scotland setup and played Scotland nineteens. Probably just managed to get in. Um, so that was like for me was a huge mental milestone more than anything. Rather than it be like about a CV, it was about having not been picked to then work back and, and sort of around. catch up with these other lads, yeah. um, which was great. But again, it was then then following that, going through another period of change, I um, actually stayed at school and worked as okay. a teaching assistant. So basically helping out in the boarding house, helping out with PE, all kind of business like that. And that facilitated me to play at a filed rugby club, which was about 10, 15 minute drive from Kirkham, mm. but was a national one club at that point. So that was my sort of route from sort of school and then playing for sale 18s and playing that Scotland stuff to try and then find a way to get a professional contract somewhere what uh, level is that in national league? one so that's third tier so okay. I think premiership championship and then national one okay. um, so you're immediately playing for, well, you haven't asked all the way along here where do you play in the, that thing scrum thing <laughs> so yeah so I, I play playing the, I played in the back row I was sort of a general back row player right. um, but typically six or seven okay it's going straight yeah. in the head. I can see it. Matt, Matt kind of gets it. I can think. So, uh, so then you're playing regularly for file. No. All right. So Just training with them and so trying I'd, to break into the team. So yeah, essentially, I'd I'd done like a full preseason with them. Thought it'd gone pretty well. Um, and I wouldn't say I, probably if I did overrate myself. I'm not sure. Went into this environment quite confident in myself. Um, seeing the sort of competition I had and value myself at least on par with them if not higher and really struggled with not being picked um, all sorts going on at, at clubs at the club where there was like a player coach and it felt like in my mind it felt like people were getting favoured and generally the the excuse was never on about my own ability and questioning my own in hindsight would you say it not necessarily was but there was a perhaps a bit of both sides, yeah. Maybe there was a bit of favouritism, but maybe I should have just stayed focused on what I was doing. And that's it. That's definitely it. Um, and I was always busy. I was so busy comparing myself to others at that stage as well, which was probably was, was hugely significant. So, like I said about Tom growing up playing with Tom. Obviously, I played against him at Scotland with Scotland England sixteens, but I went on to play with him at Sale for eighteens. Um, and other lads that I played with at Scotland were moving through the ranks really quickly. So following on from school like within a matter of months they're getting debuts in like the premiership and top tier and like in my mind I don't understand how rare that actually is that they they were like the 1% of the 1% that have kind of made this transition at a blink of an eye but I I'd set myself on the on their level and in my mind I was on their level so being stuck in the second team of a national one club where there's people that are more interested in the pints after the game than they are in actually playing and then seeing people that I know on a personal level making that step up to like, to you know, yeah. what I'd already dreamed of as being that Premiership level was like incredibly difficult to see. That chipping away at the mind, is it? Yeah, hugely, and that probably contributed to this sort of slightly negative attitude right, towards okay. rugby and all the rest of it. Okay, so then how long were you doing with file for? And... So I did a season with filed. Right. Um, well, best of a season, maybe. I think I got from went from September to about 
maybe April. Right. So it was almost a full season, but not quite. I then moved home, so spent maybe three or four months, if that, working on Ireland, and then made the move up to Glasgow. Okay. Um, what were you working on Ireland for? Just uh, just did bar work. Just right, did, just okay. something to keep me taking over. Yeah. Um, yeah. How come you decided to to move back home? I think it was basically about saving up money. Um, I also was pretty unhappy where I was. I found the transition from being a student to being, well, essentially a member of staff pretty hard. Um, that kind of, socially, that was very, very difficult because I'd, these are lads that I've been living with for maybe a year or so already that are now moved up to like the top top of school. So they're in upper six. Like, they were like my good mates. And suddenly I'm being told I've got to separate myself from them and be a member of staff, which was like an incredibly difficult thing to handle um, was that coming from I mean that makes sense mm. naturally I think but was that coming from the school side saying you, you're not one of the lads basically anymore you, you, you need to that was it and that's probably not what I expected um, and it was also just first job like it's always going to be difficult mm. no matter where you go but there was that on top of struggling socially on top of rugby not going well was sort of really starting to, to chip away at me um, how did the opportunity in Glasgow come about? I applied Applied to uni, so it was basically a university place at, at Uni of Glasgow to do psychology. Came up, um, so I moved. Well, uni wasn't supposed to start till mid September, but I went up there at the start of June to start preseason at a new club, uh, Glasgow Hawks, which was which was great. That sort of reinvigorated my um, my sort of love for the for the sport because it was it was quite nice to get a clean slate. Because mm-hmm. going to Fylde, it was very much they loads of. Um, those of the players are like used to go to Kirkham and it's quite it's a small it's quite a small bubble so everyone sort of knew, knew each other and it was quite nice to go somewhere entirely separate start from scratch and just rebuild um, that's what, what I did what there. level are they pretty similar pretty similar to uh, to Fylde so top amateur tier in Scotland um, so it, it's a bit different the way it works in Scotland because there's pro teams and then the sort of there's a cut off because they don't kind of fluctuate it's not like a full fully flowing league system so the top amateur tier was yeah, the league that Glasgow Glasgow Hawks were in so, so you're with them uh, from June uh, before the school year mm-hmm. pre-season go okay pre-season went really well um, the first of, team in the first team yeah so at the start of the year or well, through the pre-season games I'd started every fixture um, worked really hard built up like a good relationship with the coaches with the rest of the lads first couple of league games I'd started um, and then yeah, got a bit of an injury, which really, really threw me. Right. Um, what happened there? So I, well, essentially I got, the initial injury was a dead leg, which doesn't sound largely uh, largely impressive, but it was actually a week or so after this dead leg, when it had settled down, I, I was doing some foam rolling and basically burst a blood vessel in my quad, um, which the technical term for that is a hematoma. Um, for like really think of it in like a, the most simple way possible. You got your, Fascial, fascial sheath. This is the simple way. You're yeah, yeah, I'm telling you now. Yeah. It goes around your muscle, and essentially, if you bleed enough inside that, blood can't escape. So imagine just like a muscle just soaked, soaked in blood. No. Um, it looks like your legs like a balloon, mm. hugely swollen. Looks like it, if you poked it with a pin, it would just pop. Um, and there's no way of draining that blood. So you basically just got to sit with your leg like a brick, and wait for this blood to sort of drain away, essentially. No. no that during your season so that's you sidelines that's me sidelined for pr- well, the whole year yeah. knowing that I'm going to be sidelined for the whole year I'm also on crutches in quite a lot of pain and this is timed in with when this is when uni starts so it's like the start of freshers when I'm supposedly needing to be out and about 
meeting people, like getting settled for the year, and I was pretty much immobile, um, mm. which was yeah difficult. Getting hot to mix, make friends. Yeah, it it was that. I'd also rightly or wrongly, I'd was living with two full time rugby players rather than doing the typical thing and like going into student halls. Mm. So watching them go every day practicing and doing the schedule you kind of want to be doing that that kind of vibe they obviously after i was a student and they were they were full-time so they're being paid anyway but they were on like a different time zone to me like they'd be up and out and at the club from like 7 a.m if not earlier and i wouldn't even need to be in uni till 10 11 o'clock so imagine i wake up no one in the house mm. might get up get out to uni um full day like could be on my own I don't get me wrong, like I've made some friends, but it's all that weird transition period where like you're not really sure who's who and who you want to spend time with and the rest of it. And you could get home and I could get home at like seven, eight o'clock at night. They might be in bed already or I might see them for half an hour, 40 minutes, then I might be off trying to out to try and see people and then that's it. So it mm-hmm. felt like I was actually near enough on my own the majority of the time. Um, so, injured, so you're injured for the season. Are you, are you aware of that injury? Like, not quite day one, but pretty early doors, this is going to be for the season? Yeah, they were, like, pretty clear. Right. I'd, had, I'd had scans and stuff, and they were, like, look like... This is the outcome of what happened? This is just, like, sorry. What's your immediate reaction to that in your mind? Not really understand the significance. It was right. it was my first serious injury um, that I'd had, so it was... I didn't hadn't really had that experience in managing something like that yet, so it was quite difficult. Um, is, the, is the early reaction... Who's speaking to you now, maybe, but is that initial reaction right? I just need to work through this, or is it not getting depressed about it, but let it batter your head for maybe longer than it should? Um, or you're positive, as in, I just need to start doing other stuff around this. And it was, I was pretty busy with physio and stuff, like they were pretty good at like having acupuncture and just generally checking up with me all the time. So I was doing physio two, three times a week and trying to, trying to be active, but it was just a bit of a struggle, really, because it's literally one of them where it's not, you can't work through it. It's like, sit and wait <laughs> um, sit on crutches you can't you, you, the mo- your mobility is like in, in, insanely pretty much zero they're, um, they're almost worst injuries aren't worst injuries aren't they when you know if you if you you know you can do work around it and do work to improve the injury it helps the mindset but when it's exactly I suppose like maybe well to a, I suppose a, bit, a bone breaks and not a lot you can do it's just time yeah. principally and uh, it, you know if you can't contribute towards a healing imagine it yeah, I, I couldn't do much else, but I was <clears throat> probably making some, trying to deal with that frustration in probably the wrong way. Right. Um, I mean, I remember going to, I, I didn't typically play, I wasn't planning on playing uni rugby at all, but it was just like a good social circle to get in with just to make some friends. So obviously wanted to make an effort to go to rugby initiations. I'm going to rugby initiations like in a dress on crutches. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm sat on this like club floor with all these other freshers, like with my crutches, just thinking like, what am I doing here? Like staring at my leg. At the time. Yeah, like looking yeah. at my leg being like, this is just, I was well aware that there was going to be no good outcome for the injury and for me personally from doing that. But you're just itching to like get that interaction um, to get to know people. And like everyone at that stage, you're not quite sure of yourself. You're not quite sure who you true. are, what you want to do, all the other things that are going on. Um, so that was just another thing to deal with on top of that, really. And did that, that continue just to not spiral in the wrong, go in the wrong direction? Yeah, it sort of, it carried on eating away at me. Um, I I'd, I'd thought I'd got quite settled. So this is what, what really rocked me was I'd made through sort of the first couple of weeks through freshers, I thought I made like quite a good group of mates. And there was a couple of so, social incidences that I, I couldn't even tell you what had happened 
but I ended up being isolated from this group of mates I'd made and this was timed in with that injury so that essentially I didn't have anyone it was, it, I felt like literally just like a lone soldier yeah. living by myself being independent trying to go to lectures not knowing anyone and it was yeah it was a pretty pretty low to be honest and rugby in general are you still thinking is there still that mindset of I can make a career of this or is that kind of drifting out of your um, line I think you're still it's still in the back of my mind but it was like I'd really struggled to enjoy it when I was at Fylde and I, it had almost been like right let's give this one more go let's go up to Scotland let's really commit to this um, and have a crack and then it was sort of get building myself back up to then have that huge setback would pretty much it really wiped me out yeah because it's tough to be honest your uni it's only got a time frame what three four years of, so being told you have a minimum mm-hmm. like a year of that gone yeah yeah it's like 30 yeah 30 percent just yeah yeah, yeah 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 and it's it's the reality is it's not that it shouldn't be that significant but i was just in probably quite a i probably was in quite a fragile position mm. anyway um i probably wasn't actually that confident to have that much self-worth that wasn't just attributed to me through the success i'd had in rugby like that was sort of what was holding up my own self-esteem and when you strip that away i was sort of just didn't really have anything there and didn't really value myself and didn't really understand how to sustain myself day to day without having that to sort of lift me up right. um, so it's that year then went on what what's going on what's i mean it's a year? pretty it's a it's all it's spiraled down pretty quick to be honest like i managed to <laughs> sound it sounds weird i hit rock bottom very quickly so i came back up in the end yeah. um it was just more just bad habits so if you what's the best way to describe it would be I'm continually looking for ways to justify my self-worth to myself and to other people so at uni there's all sorts of ways you can do that it would just be you know being boisterous it's almost the definition of just toxic masculinity really um, being boisterous drinking a lot bad habits with women like all that sort of thing that's just just not being the sort of person that I'd been brought up and to be essentially like all these like you talk about all the habits you have from good mentors like Neil and your parents and the rest of it and you just like fall away from it completely and in in the short term it it makes you feel better for like on a night out and then in even a matter of days after you just feel even worse about yourself because you're acting in a way that's that's really not you um and you're aware of that even like again I, I, I can imagine me being aware of that at 19 thinking yeah, I got a hangover and I don't feel great, but I don't really self-judge myself three days later. Yeah, it, it was probably a little bit of awareness, but not enough to... Do anything about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Um, and the way I sort of, in hindsight, the way I'd describe it is you're just so lonely all the time because no matter, even if you're getting that social interaction with people, if you're not being yourself, it's like this, You real, the real George isn't speaking. I, I don't know how the best way... I don't know if that even no, makes, it makes sense. sense. Makes yeah, sense. if I if I'm not being myself, I'm entirely isolated all the time. This is this like fake persona of myself that's that might be having a great time, that might be that seem really confident, that might seem like he's got everything together, but actually inside there's just someone that's just like sort of crumbling and falling apart really, and not not knowing who he is, where he's going, or or have any sort of self worth or self confidence. Did you at any point in this speak to family or your friends down Kirkham something to try and yeah get your mindset a bit right try and you know get yourself out of that yeah so i probably i probably did speak to them but it's it's that classic thing of not really if you don't really understand what's going on 
it's quite hard to communicate that. Like I'd felt pretty low for, for quite a while. I probably under, not undervalued. I probably not explained that well, how low I actually was when I was, when I left Kirkham in that role and moved home. Like I was at a real low point then. I communicated to a few people then about that, but then I sort of brushed it off. And this is where the whole mental mental health thing comes in. And I'd never ever diagnosed myself with anything. I never went to see a doctor, I never went to see anyone, but it's just knowing that you're feeling like awfully low, like a horrible, horrible low isolating feeling, but not been able to, and not been able to communicate, but not really understanding why or what's going on. Um, and there's you know there's mental illness and there's there's mental health like everyone's got mental health like we all have physical health not everyone's got an illness i adjusted my circumstance and my perspective on things and made myself feel a lot better um it's like the position i'm in now but at that point like, i didn't have that understanding to really i was gonna say yeah so you're using it with what caused you or helped you bounce back up when you hit that yeah so i had like a real like a real low point um there was it was i think it was an incident on a night out I was really quite drunk, if I'm honest. Um, but there was a, a big sort of fallout on a on a night out, and I went walking off on my own in the middle of Glasgow. And this is just this is just aimless walking, like literally just me by myself. But you end up at, or I ended up at this motorway bridge, and it's not like it, at the time I I really scared myself, but and now like in the next sort of year or two, becoming more acquainted with how suicide happens on like on like a detailed basis, it generally doesn't happen on a one-off thing like that that generally there will be a lot of planning going into it but just to put myself in that position where i'm sat or stood looking over motorway bridge absolutely hammered thinking like i have no value on myself what is the point in all this i think i got a text from a friend that i've been trying to ring earlier and it like snapped me out of it but then that like really frightened me and i think mm-hmm. I thought like i don't know what's going on here but i need to make some sort of change whether it's my environment whether it's me personally like and how i i didn't really understand what was going on but i just knew something needed to change and that's sort of yeah where i sort of went from there this is why i love that love the, the story your story in general not that part of the story yeah i again at that age uh i can't just maybe it's my poor memory but i couldn't i, I couldn't i couldn't even have enough self-awareness i don't think that age to to see those things i was just you know i just yeah yeah and i just think that's what's really fascinating about about that's the, the situation and, and what you went through yeah. uh, to be aware enough to go and I, I need to need to do something different and it's changed the projection of where I'm going here which I think you then looked at coming back to that that, that moment going I need to get out of this environment I probably just think about that more in the last five years you know, I'm in the 40s now where back then it's not something that so yeah and I mean the environment I was in like don't get me wrong every other student goes through that and comes out the other end fine like what I went through isn't something that's particularly bad all I had was you know a few setbacks in a sport that I'd previously loved mm. but it was just to me it's in hindsight it's seeing that if you don't have a support network how these things that shouldn't be that significant can really take like a significant effect on you um, having been taken out in that environment at, environment at Kirk and where I had my best mates around me all the time having not been that connected with my family up in Glasgow and all the rest of it like if you're like if you're isolated and you're going through something on your own and you don't have people to talk to about it like anyone can end up yeah. like that and that was like the most significant learning for me really so, so what did you do then to to change your environment um i started looking at options to get home essentially i'd started communicating so pretty to much my, get get out of the city get out of the not not far off yeah it was sort of thinking that this isn't right i think I, I think well i did i blamed it on 
uni I said you know oh this isn't right for me like it's the drinking culture it's going out all the time this is taking a toll on me what we'll come to in a little bit is just from having those change of environments and continually to change my environment it actually I got to a point where I was like hang on like this isn't me that's isn't my environment that's the issue it's actually like my own shadow and took me time to sort of realize that and to address that but at that point it was just like get out of the city let's try and move home what what about the rugby side to that conversation of you know okay there is a time limit on how long my legs can be out should i stick it out or was it a, it was a, at this point don't think about sport it's at this point it was just there. kind of like rugby was out of the window yeah. um don't be wrong it was it was what i did it was who i was so it was it was always like on my mind but that's just more of an identity thing rather than like less of a career thing i think it just kind of through that point it just kind of like completely dissipated to be honest um, any sort of motivation and drive for that had just gone out the window how did you get home that's it appreciate you my god <laughs> so obviously i came home come home for christmas but well through the support i'd had through Alaman sport i knew roger outgiver um, and i essentially dropped him an email looking for some kind of work or apprenticeship that would fit with actually studying part-time where i could come back to the island maybe do an open union degree work at the same time something that would complement each other um, and came and had a good chat with him and they were able to to sort me out mm. with a job and you know if that opportunity hadn't come up it's hard to say whether where you'd be now yeah like it's it's like quite a scary thought so yeah sort of forever in debt for that chance really it's funny then i suppose well not funny but then tying that back so similar to to uh neil and that you know people that maybe at the, the time when they're helping and because of their well, maybe their job or just like their good nature that how it changes the direction of people's lives without them probably even realising it yeah which again I think is just really fascinating when you talk to people and look back and probably acknowledge that you know people change you know and change people's lives so this similar to the podcast we had a few, a few days ago mm. change change lives and maybe not even realise it yeah that's it yeah it's crazy um, so you come back live with your pet go back to your parents yeah assume? moving home this is the first time in like five five and a half years I've lived at home so it was obviously a bit tough at first but settled in did they have any idea of what prompted you to no, come back now didn't no idea uh, they knew don't get me wrong they knew it had a bit of a shit time and knew I was feeling pretty rough but they probably just thought it was more around being injured and that's, they probably didn't really know mm. it's, hard, it's hard for them I'm probably it's hard for you guys to see that because I'm just sat here talking about it all now yeah. probably don't show as much as I'd give off here as to what was so they probably weren't really that clued up on what was happening um, again you're 19 or something or 18 you're still young communicating yeah. with the parents at that age it's just a bit yeah. it's not limited limited limited, yeah, limited, yeah, it's just yeah, limited yeah, yeah. to be fair a few grunts and yeah yeah. So, yeah so you come back do you stop playing rugby on the island or you're kind of sick of that sport now yeah so when I I'm not fit I'm still not fit at this point so I'm still able to play even though yeah. I've moved back so it's only early January but by sort of February mid-Feb I'd get involved with Douglas and this is like I'm not really interested in playing it's more just I'm George I play rugby so what I'm going to do when I move home mm-hmm. alright I'm just going to play rugby <laughs> um, got involved I, I just I wasn't enjoying it at all it was training Tuesday Thursday playing on a Saturday and what, what I'd live in three or four beforehand was now just like a sucking the energy out of me like mm-hmm. I just wouldn't want to be there but I didn't have anything else to do so say how long how long did you stick stick with that I stuck it out for the rest of the season oh. but just progressively enjoyed it less and less and less yeah. and less do you think it's that age then when do you think just listening to you when you 
identify so strongly with a, I suppose, a sport or a thing? Do you think that can be toxic? Then that you talked about the I'm George, my identity is rugby. Do you think that's that's a I don't mean you personally generally a problem where people are just this this is my identity. I'm you know for for, you know, for I do a lot of bike riding, so this is my bike riding. Do you think that then people there's a danger there that this is all 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 I am and all I yeah. I think it is it can be negative, but it's just about people being well rounded. So, for me, like although like you say you know I tried hard at school, like my whole social circle and my whole life have been focused around this. And it's brilliant for people to to have that because it can give you some purpose and gives you that sense of community. But you need something else as well. And it's not to say that it's in case rugby disappears, you need something else to hold your self esteem up. It's just that who you are as a person is bigger than your hobby, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, essentially. Yeah. So the end of the rugby season, you play you play sort of locally. You say you kind of getting peed off with the sport. Or, yeah. You know, so really, now. really not enjoying it. Um, I had a good conversation with. A good friend of mine, Chris Chris Brannigan, who's actually the rugby development officer for the Isle of Man, and obviously I've known him for a couple of years because he was keeping track of my progress going from club to club, and was well aware of like what I was going on with at school. Um, and we had a long chat, and he was like, "Look, like it doesn't matter if you're George the rugby player to so many people over here. If you're not enjoying this, you don't need to do it." At this point, I was already involved with coaching quite closely. Did, so when you mentioned that George Rugby, did you, did you think everyone was looking at you, thinking that's George a rugby player? Oh yeah, and that's probably what contributed to me not enjoying playing like Douglas as much, um, because you've got this. It feels like you've just got this asterisk next to your name as Scotland international player that's moved home, and it, it doesn't really mean. Do you anything. think you're a failure? Yeah, oh. yeah, that's it. Um, to move home, although there was there were bigger things going on, to have moved home was like admitting defeat in this quest, this big goal that I'd had of becoming this professional rugby player and to come home. Nine, nine years of your life, eight years of your yeah, life. Yeah, just it? fully commit to that that was basically just me saying like, I'll give up on that and even to think about giving up, like I'd brought myself up with this mindset of just, you know, work through setbacks, work through failure, you know, failure is just a route to a success, just keep going, keep plugging away, keep plugging away and to actually just sit there and be like, I failed at this was like incredibly difficult. Um, People probably didn't understand how significant that was to me, really. A couple of years on, do you realise that you didn't fail? Do you, do you still yeah. think you? I'm, I'm really proud of what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, in the back of my mind, I think if I went back and gave, I'm not saying I'd be a pro player, but if I wanted to go back and play in like a good league, I'd be 100% capable of doing so. I just don't really fancy it, to be honest. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but it's, it's having that confidence in myself and also being freaking proud. Because, you know, I got like, even at Fylde, I got like five or six appearances in National 1 at 18. Yeah. And that's really, really yeah. significant. Yeah, but yeah, because yeah. I'm comparing myself to lads that are playing Premiership, I just didn't value what I was doing. So it's all that, it's all that perspective of just staying in the present moment and focusing on yourself and appreciating what you've got and focusing on your own journey rather than worrying about it. around you. Yeah. yeah. Sam talked about when we chatted to Sam about kind of this circle and what's you know in your control in that circle mm. and what's not in your control and trying to ignore. I suppose other competitors are outside that circle. You can't control them, so mm-hmm. just focus on what you're doing. Yeah, um, and that's I guess it. that's a lot. In, you see that a lot more moments. Yeah. Mentality and sport. Yeah, that's sort of what I've felt towards. But it's also what's contributed to me having such a positive relationship with everything I'm doing now. Yeah, right. Even in my career and with Ironman, it's like I needed rugby, and I needed rugby to hold up my self esteem and to hold up my self confidence. And without that, I really struggled. And the beauty of it all now is like I'm very, very happy with who George is yeah, yeah. 
and notwithstanding of anything that goes on, but I want to do well. I am, and I want to do well in my career. It's not like I need that. That's not what's holding me up. But I'm still pursuing it. I'm still just as motivated, and that's the sort of beauty of what I'm yeah. doing now. Is it's it's sustainable, like through hopefully through whatever life sort of throws at me. So the Iron Man then the the uh, just go back. Oh yeah. Well yeah. No. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, like you look at rugby as it's your one crutch, isn't it? When the crutch is gone, you feel uh-huh. over. Where now you've got an Iron Man crutch, but you've also maybe got a family crutch. You've mm-hmm. got maybe a, a, diff- a slightly different mentality crutch as well. So you've yeah. got other things when when one thing you know stops or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So what what how did you get into Iron Man? So. Um, well so I'd obviously had this pretty strange adverse experience in Glasgow that I probably hadn't quite come to terms with I'd probably just moved home and tried to just forget about it and didn't really see any significance in it at that that point but there was another event with family that was very similar to my own experience I was just sort of that really rattled me that two of us that were very close could be feeling in such a way and have not communicated to each other at all um, and that sort of stemmed me well, that sort of started the fire of becoming educated on all this stuff um, broadening my understanding of, of what mental health actually is all these different so you going online to speaking to people that kind of thing that kind of thing more, more so online at this stage rather than actually actively having conversations um where these conversations really began was after I started fundraising. So in a selfish way, like I'd, I'd finished playing rugby. I wanted some kind of goal. I'd always had this idea of doing a nine man at some point in life. And it's just like, well, I'm not playing rugby. Like, let's just, why not? <laughs> like, got it's nothing else to do with my time. Yeah, yeah. Got nothing else to do with my time. I love training. I love exercise. I love that whole aspect of, of life. So right, let's give this a go. Um, but this obviously timed in with, this event, all these two events with with family, um, which sort of led to me looking at charities to do with suicide, and that brought brought me to Calm, um, who essentially are a, they are targeted at, at men's, particularly, but the the whole messaging obviously is applicable to to everyone. It's um, basically suicide prevention awareness charity. Um, are they UK based? Yeah, yeah, UK based, but majority of what they do is kind of online, right? Online stuff, uh, online campaigns all sorts of different things and they really resonated with me with their messaging how they how they run the charity was brilliant so basically got stuck into uh, campaigning for them it was they kind of started with wanting to do a, an event that was tied to statistics of suicide which was the first was a swim so it was a 6,639 metre open water swim from Castan Harbour to Gansey Pottery so far side of Gansey um, in sort of representation of the 6,639 annual suicides. How do you find that as someone I'm making assumptions has not done a lot of open water swimming before then? No, I mean like that's the thing I think me and Martin chatted about this a while ago is like I'd, I was lucky enough to be brought up in Port Erin where you know you're in the sea you go and jump in you're doing like kayaking and the rest of it so you're quite comfortable in the sea but I was by no means like an open water swimmer. I swam a little bit when I was younger but I probably should have put more thought into this challenge. I was just like, right, let's do this. Say I'm going to do it, commit to it fully. And I was like, right, logistics. How are we going to do this? In the end, uh, I was thank- thankfully, there was a fellow called Guy Wood, who, um, one of the lads that plays rugby down at Douglas, um, 
he had a sort of rig so he was able to get the boat out and support me all the way around which made things a little bit safer to be fair didn't touch the boat the whole way around though that was part of the deal um so obviously did that swim and raised best of like six grand doing that which was at this stage it was starting to elevate that self-worth that i needed aside from rugby but i was kind of coming to terms more with just the values of myself and getting back to like george what george was before all that sort of happened um then from that did another fundraising challenge which was again with the statistics of suicides so it was 84 84 weekly and um 12 daily male suicides so i did 84 miles on a uh, on a static bike on a turbo for 12 days straight and went around different locations facing the Man and parked up and had banners for the charity and was just discussing with people and having these conversations around the statistics and promoting the charity and yeah basically by the end of that we'd been up we were up to about 12 13 thousand pounds mm. um which was pretty cool like it was awesome experience really yeah. so how, how did you find that the... it was tough yeah because obviously at this point i'm not a cyclist <laughs> in the slightest <laughs> um yeah i've had to work on that a lot lost a bit of weight in those two weeks to be fair yeah, um, but you had lots of people coming to you talking to you that, yeah that was a thing. okay yeah you're suffering while doing it but you've got that um interaction that's taking you off that's off it. what you're doing and that's the it. reason you are doing it because yeah, everyone was sort of saying why aren't you on the road I'm like why would you not go outside it's so much nicer and i was like every minute or every mile i'm on the road it's time that I'm not either communicating about the subject or raising money. Yeah. Like I'm not riding around Douglas with like buckets, like getting mm-hmm. people to short changing them. But if I'm, I spent a couple of days at Noah Bakehouse, the old one, mm. spent a couple of days um, at the hospital, did a few days at Douglas Rugby Club. I went all over the place. And like every day you'd rock up somewhere and take like five, 600 quid. And that would just give you that motivation for the next yeah. day just to like keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, Where were you working at the stage? At Micro Gaming still. Yeah, still like uh, yeah so that was obviously where I got set up when I moved home mm. and this is maybe by this stage it was maybe 10 11 months after I'd come home it was only four or five months after I got back and had been working that this whole fundraising stuff mm. started so that all leads into going to the Ironman in Bolton so, yep so, so brief for those non-Ironman and women listening what's 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 an Ironman uh, a 2.4 mile open water swim followed by a 112 mile bike followed by a marathon oh. <laughs> so, um, do you think doing your two challenges prior kind of gave you a, a like test run actually I quite like open water swimming and I quite like the bike I that's it run. yeah <laughs> perfect match yeah that's it and it was more just wanting kind of getting hooked on the concept of testing myself mm. like physically and mentally because physically it, I say physically it's all about the mind that the mind's what allows you to test yourself physically yeah. more so that's what I'm sort of big believer in anyway and the more you the more you push the boundaries, the more you become aware of what you can do physically. Um, your whole, your whole like sort of perspective and concept of what you are physically capable of doing just starts to shift, and yeah. that's what excites me going forward. Is having those experiences now and then, being able to push myself further and further each time, and that's what kind of gets you hooked. I think. So, so do you know David Gogg? Probably not personally. David Goggins. <laughs> yeah, stay hard. He's, yeah, um, yeah, is it, yeah. So again, our listeners, if you look uh, YouTube, uh, David Goggins, and he's of the similar of uh, you're way more capable of doing what you then you think you think you are and it's about mastering the mind yeah and that's, that's about, it. which is again something we love to talk about on the pod but yeah yeah certainly go and look look at uh, mr goggins up he's it's a fantastic book to be yeah. fair he's I mean there's a lot missing yeah that he doesn't tell you know to do this his three wives and how his you know motivation to get this pull-up world, world record, record. Yeah. 
probably destroyed a marriage and all the rest of it but he's you know he's on a one track road yeah, to yeah. being the best Goggins he can be so yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You know, fair play to the guy like let him crack on Roger that yeah <laughs> yeah um, so how was Bolton as an experience loved, awesome experience I half of this was half the reason I'd stopped enjoying rugby was putting pressure on myself having that expectation of performance each time and Bolton half the goal was to go and just enjoy it and not let not let pressure and expectation because I'd created a profile for myself just to um, just to go just by doing this fundraising and so many people being aware of what I was doing and with that obviously comes a comes a pressure especially if I'd grown up doing being an international junior athlete yeah. but that was sort of my main learning was to not bother even taking into account what other people were thinking was happening yeah. um, and just enjoying the enjoying the day taking the it all in and just and it was it was absolute 10 out of 10 experience I can, see I say I'm like I've nailed it in terms of not caring what everyone thinks but um, as a race it was awful like made right. so many mistakes and that's yeah. what I'll take forward but it didn't affect my enjoyment of the day which was which was the main thing right. so uh, that what year was that then what year were we looking at there last July so only like five months ago okay yeah five six months ago I assume you were I say the word beef as in not fat but obviously being a rugby player you're chunky we'll call it yeah, chunky. chunky see that's yeah, the thing yeah. it's all it's all perspective because all the rugby lads would look at me and be like oh George he's lost so much weight he's so skinny and then I'm moving into this world of like cyclists and, yeah. and marathon runners yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like a giant yeah, so right. yeah it's um, I'm still kind of adjusting to that one yeah. well um, and in many ways it makes that man a lot harder because you're, you're carrying that quote unquote chunk around there you go it's not quite chunk but yeah yeah okay yeah so you come back from there what, what uh, I mean, I wasn't really sure because the original plan was to take a year out from rugby and go back to it. But sort of halfway through this year, I was just like, could I see myself going back to playing rugby? It was just the answer was just no because I was enjoying what I was doing so yeah. much. Like, why would why change when I'm enjoying what I'm doing so much? Um, and then you start getting involved in I'll listen. Yeah, so so I'll listen. This this came before Bolton. Um, so essentially after that second fundraising challenge of doing those 84 miles it was I started to pay an interest in in school and basically early intervention and prevention work like how can you equip people with the skills to manage the stuff that's going on in life without having such a spiral and low like I did like that was just normal they were very very normal life events that everyone else would deal with fine but I'd ended up in this position where I'd hit absolute rock bottom I'm kind of thinking in hindsight like how could I had been prepared to have handled that situation to have not sunk to that point. The irony is that that hitting that low point has changed my life and led to me sort of developing myself in a completely different way. Again, and taking a positive out of the negative come, Yeah, it's come to me hugely positive, but we'd still rather prepare kids to not end up in that situation really. So, well, yeah, so I was looking to um, get involved in schools and, and help in some capacity. And then this was sort of the time that our listen was sort of coming together. Um, and the project lead... Annabelle basically got in contact with me and said, look, like if you're looking to be involved in schools, we'd love to have you involved. Um, so was that because you were putting stuff online, talking about it? Pretty much. Expressing a view in it? Pretty much. Her, um, it was saying it was her boyfriend had showed her some of the stuff I was thinking about doing and oh. she basically just got in contact and I was involved as a volunteer for a couple of months and then eventually got onto a full-time role and yeah. You worked them full-time now? Yeah, been there, there full-time now. It's been four or five months and like enjoying the job. Rewarding? So rewarding. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a job. 
you're primarily in schools, is that? Or for... Yeah, so my oh, my job title is I'm a project coordinator, which essentially means I'll do everything. Mm. <laughs> Just help with everything. Like We run a podcast, we've got the website and blog and stuff we're trying to run. I'll be in schools doing assemblies and PSHE lessons. Um, how, how do you find the kids being receptive to that? Because again, from I guess all our experiences, when you're that age, you're kind of not as interested or that sort yeah. of thing. Like, how how do you how do you get them interested? Yeah. I, guess? I mean, we've sort of come at a time where mental health's become quite a prevalent subject, which makes life a lot easier. Mm. Um, it's more about how you present the information and how you engage them and how you talk to them is the way I've found it. Like they, storytelling is how they engage with things. They buy people, not messages. So it's just how you sort of present yourself and how you speak to them is sort of yeah the best way. Do you talk about your story particularly or not? Um, or is it more just a generic? So I went through a point where I was avoiding talking about myself as much, mainly because it's it's not my project. It's not... George, it's this is something that's more, far bigger than me. It's it's got to be scalable beyond George talking about himself in an assembly. Um, but then I sort of came to realise that there's this counter sort of catch twenty two where if I can use that story and experience to help the kids, then do it. But just don't don't go overkill. And it's this was this whole thing of be, me sort of over managing my own ego, mm. probably like being so worried about having this negative ego that um, I wasn't sort of making full use of the experience that I'd had and I'm sort of working on that one to be, to be honest I think when you're educating people so ultimately you're, you're doing it uh, I think people listen more when you've been through my, my own opinion when someone's stood in front of you saying I've done this I've been through this and so I know what I know what I'm talking about mm. I haven't read this in a manual or a book I'm not saying they don't know what they're saying either but people will certainly certainly find it more relatable mm. so yeah yeah how yeah, do you find talking yeah. in front of people? You know, obviously young. You know, I think back. I couldn't. I can hardly do it now. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, actually, I'm glad you've asked this question. Uh, we didn't. We've not talked about this before. So I'd, I have an absolute fear of public speaking, mm-hmm. like massive fear. Like I can even say. So when I was at this low point at uni, having to go and do, um, it was a presentation in a group, and it's in front of like a lab of twenty people. There's no one there. You're not even being assessed. Like it doesn't matter. And I remember standing trying to speak in front of these this this class and like my hands are shaking my voice is quaking like i've i'm literally like near enough incapable of doing it and you guys will sit here having this conversation with me now and think like how is that yeah how is that possible how you come across like that I've, and it just shows that i was a completely different person and you're moving back to the island trying to do learn how to do presentations at work this is a micro gaming like did an absolutely awful pitch about a game at micro gaming that my good friend my good friend Stephen Crow will laugh if he listens to this because I've fully fully ballsed up this pitch just because just nerves just not been able to present and I've had to work on it so hard and put myself out my comfort zone in, in environments where you are vulnerable because you know, if you're standing on a stage or you stand in front of a group of 100, 200 kids like it's pretty ruthless yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, it has to be said there's no one there's no one there to back you up it's just you know it's you and they're there to listen to you to educate them on a subject and that's scary I've had to really really work on it but now it's sort of come good and opportunities have come off the back of that and the, the irony is um, so I went to Cast Russian Sports Awards to do a little talk there for them and the whole and I'm obviously like absolutely cacking my pants going up to speak in front of all these parents and students and just absolute um, you know imposter syndrome is in, is in full flow yeah. and thinking like how do I have a right to be here and all the rest of it 
And I'm talking about saying yes to opportunities and getting out of your comfort zone and how good things will come from that. And then off the back of that, a parent who was involved in all my newspapers gets in contact with me after hearing that talk to do the newspaper feature for International Men's Day. And I think that's the one you read to then get in contact with me to come here. Mm. It's just like funny how things go. Yeah, like you push yourself yeah, yeah. out of your comfort zone and then opportunities come and it just, it's just, yeah, it's just chasing that. Yeah, I'm a, I mean, I'm slightly jealous. I'm very jealous because it's only something that I've learned in the last six months or a year that you, you have to basically, oh, well, you don't have to, but if you want to progress, develop, but my belief is you have to put yourself in those really uncomfortable zones. That's it. Uh, maybe look like a, a goon, but that's, you know, it's yeah. just just what you have to do. And you learn by screwing it up. And even when you, you might absolutely nail one and think, oh, stop it, I've got this. I've absolutely got this now. I'm brilliant. And you go to the next one and you balls that one up and you're like, right, back down to earth. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Focus on your preparation. Like, yeah, yeah. You don't you get lazy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just that whole learning process was similar to the whole beauty of learning or getting involved in Ironman because it was just starting from scratch. It's like a completely new skill set. Never even owned a bike other than like a probably a mountain bike at the age of like nine. Had some of it, but not really, no real open water experience and never been a proper runner. So it was like just dropping the ego, learning everything from new, accepting that I'm going to have to fail to get to where I want to go and just plugging away. And that was the same thing with obviously public speaking. And how, how did you find the training on the Ironman? Because previously everything every sport you've done is team based mm-hmm. to what is essentially spending hours on your own yeah how, how, how did you find that transition um at first i enjoyed it because more so because of my ability to do it on my own terms it's rather than needing to be at like a session on a tuesday and thursday evenings and a full day committed saturday and all the rest of it i was able to go where i want to do what i wanted which was great but then after six seven six seven months of just kind of doing my own thing started to want to be around that team environment so mm-hmm. I'd start to get out with people on the bike get involved in some running groups start to swim with a few different people and then my enjoyment levels sort of really shot up and really sort of started to commit to it a bit more um, these other people with aspirations of Ironman yeah imagine. yeah so like just in the last sort of this is actually post post bottom really but obviously trained a bit with Christian Valley who's been massively massive help to me in terms of developing my own understanding of the sport on the whole um it's so easy to tap into like the communities of runners and riders. I've not actually got out on too many of the um, on the big posse rides. We'll track just yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll track yeah. Uh, so what's next? What's so what's the future? The future at the moment. And that's the thing. And... That's the thing. So it, it's all these. Well, the whole Ironman and fundraising thing sort of made me rediscover that kind of burning fire for something that I had for rugby that's just kind of just reinvigorated that but now it's like right how can we do this in a sustainable way that I'm not only going to enjoy the results but I'm going to really enjoy the process um, so it's making it so that it's not been so exhausted day to day from just being overly enthusiastic and overly passionate about what you're doing that you can't see yourself doing it in two three four five years it's like that dawning reality that your career is a long time <laughs> yeah. and it's just like you're working so hard and it's like will I be able to do this for the next 30 years will I still be loving what I'm doing in 30 years time and it's raining it enough so that I know I'll keep going but <laughs> raining enough so I know I'll keep going but also kind of satisfying my own passion for yeah. the subject I guess yeah. um, which is part of my own learning process like learning not to do too much and it's a bit of an odd one because 
all the personal development stuff always seems to be about doing the work and this like grit and determination and putting in the hours and for me it's the absolute opposite it's like raining in the hours so that you can actually do more in the long term yeah, i guess yeah, yeah, yeah and if you've got a uh, sport and ambitions then going forward sport well, yeah ambitions and just, goals. just yeah. be the best be the best i can be in as an ironman athlete right. and that's just me independently so i'm the goal what the goal is at first to go to copenhagen next august which is obviously quite a way off now um but to try and go sub 10 hours okay and then yeah. from there on the horizon or i mean that's always the dream isn't it <laughs> if i if so yeah the answer to that question is if i am the best i'm an athlete that i can be i think i'll go to kona yeah. so kona for those that people don't know the, you kind of qualify different ironman events and in essence it's the world championships in kona yeah that number of magazines have been at different age categories mm-hmm. it's all age category mm-hmm. related uh, and uh, yeah it's the best of the best mm. so so yeah if i if i get to the, the best level that i think i can get to hopefully i'll go but if I don't go, I can deal with that because yeah. I've been the best I can, and that's fine. Great way to look at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so people want to reach out, chat to you, talk to you. I'm sure you've always got open doors, whether it's with your eye listener hat on or just just George. Yeah, always happy to chat. Um, generally, I'm pretty prevalent on Instagram. Do my best on Instagram. So, What's your it, handle? It's um, my my own journey, but it's it's actually my one run journey because. The eye, the eyes of one, yeah. Logistically, okay. it was a bit of pain that, but yeah, we've had we'll to roll some, with it. We'll put some links in our yeah. in our notes as well for for people that want to follow you and tag you. Brilliant. Uh, okay, well, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. It's no, a you. really fascinating story. Uh, and just remind everyone, he is only twenty two years old, which is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> uh, so thanks for your time. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah. So Matthew, fa- that was very fascinating. Uh, yep. Do you want to uh, just remind our followers where to or our listeners where to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, wherever you're listening now, hopefully either SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. Um, if you can hit those like, subscribe, and please share for us. Um, Facebook, we're under the M Word Podcast. Twitter, our handle is Manx Sports Pod, and our Insta is the M Word I O M. Um, if you like what you're hearing, please reach out to us. If you've got a story as well, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And Insta is apparently Instagram, is that right? Yeah, okay. Okay, great. All right, that's all for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting us poke into your ears. Uh, It's word out from Martin. And word out from Martin.